Romans 8, 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here with us this weekend, whether you're here in the West service with me or over in our East service or watching online. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Two quick questions before I get started. And first is, how do they expect me to concentrate on this sermon with the scripture reader who looks like that? And the second is, when were they in my house? At some point, they shot that video in my house and I did not know that. <laughs> Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn it to Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to look at the passage that my wife Amy just read uh, so beautifully. And we're going to continue our sermon series looking at the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Christian worldview, according to the Bible, God is one and yet three. One and yet three. It's the Christian idea of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And what is often true in the church is we spend a lot of time talking about God the Father and God the Son, rightfully so. There's a lot of wonderful things to know and believe about them. But we unintentionally end up dismissing or excluding God the Spirit. And so if you've grown up in church, you've been around for a while, what can happen is you feel like you know a lot about God the Father. You feel as though you know a great deal about God the Son but you're not really clear on who God the Spirit is or on what he does in the world or in the church or even in our lives. So what we've been doing this August is slowing down a little bit and spending four weeks trying to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in the lives of the church and in us as individuals. And I'm really excited to keep that going. In fact, let me hold out an outline to you that I'm going to use to kind of guide our time together. If you're a note taker, you might write these down, and if not, uh, just kind of have them in your head to plot our course as we look at Romans uh, 8, 18 through 25. Three points, and they go like this. The Spirit teaches us to groan, teaches us to hope, and teaches us to believe. Teaches us to groan, teaches us to hope, and teaches us to believe. Well, let's start with the first one, teaches us to groan. I don't know what you think of when you think of someone who is close to God. You think about a person who is very serious about their faith, who is in step with who God is and what he's doing, a, a very devout religious person, a, a, a person who's committed to their Christian faith. What comes to mind when you think of someone who is, who is super engaged with God? For me, I tend to think of someone uh, who is happy all the time. I, I don't know why. 
I don't know where this comes from, from pop culture or experience, but I think of someone who is like irrepressibly joyful, blissfully ignorant of all that's going on in the world, a kind of happy clappy, right? Just always happy, always upbeat, totally unaware of anything in the world that would not make you happy, naive, blissfully ignorant, joyful all the time. That's my image that comes to mind. Maybe that's why Karl Marx, a philosopher, said that religion was the opiate of the masses. I think what he meant was that that's what religion does. It kind of takes your mind off of the present day suffering of this world, the difficulty of life, and makes you kind of ignorant of those things and therefore happy, that it suppresses anything difficult or anything hard and replaces it with that happy, clappy kind of mindset. And maybe Karl Marx was right about some religions, but he couldn't be more wrong about Christianity. Christianity is not any of those things. It's not blissfully ignorant. It's not joyfully naive. It's not happy clappy. Christianity as a worldview has in mind that our world is incredibly broken, that it is full of difficult things, that it is off kilter, that when God made the world in Genesis 1, he looked over everything that he made and said it was good because it was for two chapters. And then in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve, our first parents, disobeyed God and disregarded his authority, they plunged our world into chaos, into brokenness, into being at odds with God. And the consequence of that, according to the Bible, is that everything is broken. I am broken. You are broken. The way we relate to each other, our families, our communities, our companies, our society, broken, damaged, not what it should be. And by the way, the Bible tells us that that even extends not just to relational and social and spiritual things, but to even the physical universe. After all, in this passage, Paul makes clear in verse 20 that creation itself is broken, that it is groaning to be made new. It is asking to be changed because it recognizes, if we could assign this kind of thinking and speaking to the physical universe, that it would be crying out for help because it is damaged in the same way that you and I are. Christianity is not about ignoring the difficulties of this world. It's not about being blissfully ignorant, joyfully naive. It's not about any of those things. The beginning point of Christianity is saying this world is not what it should be. It's damaged. I am not who I should be. I am damaged. We together are not who we should be. We are damaged. And this means then that God is not asking us to pretend as though it's not. This is really important. Let, let me give you an example that I think will make this point to you. I, sometime this summer, my son Deacon, who's 14, came back from some kind of social activity. And, and I could tell when he got home that, that whatever they had done had not gone well. He wasn't in a great mood. And so I asked him, I said, Deacon, what, what, what happened? It seemed like he didn't have a good time. And he launched into this explanation of why everything that could go wrong had gone wrong, why he hadn't had a good time. And in fact, he was pretty upset about it. 
And then I did a totally stupid and totally dad thing. I launched into giving advice. I started telling Deacon, well, maybe it's because you did this, or next time, try this. Or you know what I would do if I were you in that situation? I would try this. And, and I could see on his face while I was talking that I wasn't helping. In fact, I was hurting. Deacon is a sweet kid. He doesn't push back aggressively. He just kind of internalizes it. I could read it on his face. So I stopped mid-sentence and apologized for being an idiot. And I just said, Deacon, it seems like what you experienced was really hard and difficult. I can understand why you're so upset. I can understand why you're struggling. If I had been there and I had been in your shoes, I also would have been pretty upset. And I'm really sorry. It's awful. And it was interesting that in that moment, he got up, walked across the room, hugged me, and said, thanks, Dad. See, in that moment, he didn't need advice or do this, don't do that. He just needed someone to sit with him in his pain. But Paul tells us here, that is what the Holy Spirit does. That creation is groaning. We are groaning. He'll even go on to say the Holy Spirit is groaning. He is teaching us to acknowledge the brokenness of our world, teaching us to, that it's okay to say, I'm not doing well. I'm struggling. I'm broken. The world is broken. Life is hard. It's difficult. And I'm struggling. That that's okay to say. The Spirit of God is the voice of God saying to us, I know you're struggling. I know this life is hard. I know it's difficult. It's okay to groan. I love that verb, groaning, by the way. Because it's the kind of deep guttural pain that you can't put into words. What Paul has in mind here is not an intellectual struggling, a philosophical struggling. This is the kind of difficulty, the kind of suffering, the kind of pain that is so sudden and so difficult that you can't even make intelligent words. You're just kind of, you're just kind of responding from the gut with a groan. And the Bible tells us that not only is that okay, but that the Holy Spirit of God leads us there, teaches us to groan. The world isn't just broken. It was never supposed to be this way. Now, this is important for two reasons. First, because I want you to understand that if you soldier on, if you push through, if you think that what God wants from you is to pretend as though you're not hurting, to pretend as though it's not difficult, to just put one foot in front of the other, you're not actually being pleasing to God. You're suppressing the voice of God because it is God's spirit that is saying to us, it's, it's hard. Look at how Paul begins this whole passage. He says, for this present suffering he acknowledges that this is a life of suffering and the Spirit teaches us to groan. God is not expecting you to ignore your pain. God is not expecting you to be joyfully, blissfully ignorant. He's not expecting you to be naive. He's not expecting you to pretend. 
This is so important because so many of us, I think, are, are wrestling with difficult childhoods, broken marriages, estranged children, careers that are not what we thought. And what we think God wants is one foot in front of another. Just move forward. Just soldier on. Show up to church. Do your part. Go home. Do it again. But that is not what is here. The Holy Spirit teaches us to groan. But here's the second reason why it's so important. If you don't think God allows you to groan, will groan with you, teaches you to groan, then how could you ever think he loves you? You see, in that moment when I'm talking to Deacon and I'm giving him advice and I'm giving him how-tos and I'm giving him do's and don'ts, what he really wants is not advice. That might be helpful later. What he really wants is to say, Dad, I just came from something where I felt alone and unloved and unwelcomed and it wasn't good for me. What I really need to know is that in this moment, you see me, you hear me, and you love me. Which is why the Holy Spirit leads us to groan. To say, I really love you. It's okay to be hurting. It's okay to be struggling. It's okay to be suffering. It's okay to say so. It's okay to not be okay. That's what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. Leading us to agree with the Bible. That the world is broken. That we are broken. And that that is hard. But Here's the second thing the Spirit teaches us. Not just to groan, but also to hope, to hope, to believe that there's a day coming where life will be different. In fact, Paul roots his whole argument in creation. He says that creation is groaning. He goes on to say that creation itself is hopeful that there's a day coming when it will be renewed, and it should, because after all, the story of the Bible begins with a good world, Genesis 1, a broken world in Genesis 3, but it ends in Revelation 20 and 21 with a world made new. You see, the biblical worldview tells us it is okay to hurt because this world is broken, but it is also okay to hope because it will be made new. In fact, let me show you the way Paul puts this here in the passage in verse 23. Look at what he says. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The, as adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's actually three things he's telling us to hope in just those two phrases that are so important for us to understand. The first is he tells us to hope for wholeness for wholeness. He calls it the redemption of our bodies. Here's what he's saying. Much of the suffering of this world is physical. It's actually a law of thermodynamics that we are all disintegrating as we sit here. Nothing lasts. Everything is temporary. We are getting older by the second. We will and have suffer physically. I don't know if you're like me, but I've spent most of my adult life trying to figure out how to convince myself I am still young, okay? It's like a game I'm playing in my head. But there are every now and then things that happen that make me realize I'm not as young as I'd like to be. The first was when my oldest child turned doubled figures. That seemed hard for me to swallow. There's just no way of spinning that. The second was when my heating pad broke. I was devastated. 
In fact, I was so devastated, I went online and ordered two so that my wife and I wouldn't have to share. Right? My body is breaking down. So is yours. Sickness, disease, death. If you're not suffering physically now, I hate to spoil it for you, you will be soon. But Paul says we groan inwardly because of the physical suffering we endure. But we understand, we hope that one day we will be whole. The Bible tells us that in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no physical pain. There will be no disease, no sickness, no death. We won't get older. There won't be any of the suffering that we experience now. We experience it now. We groan now, but we hope for wholeness later. The second hope that Paul offers us is the hope of being loved. The hope of being loved. He says the redemption of our bodies, as a, but then he says adoption as sons. Now the Bible tells us that the minute we enter into relationship with God through Jesus, we, are, we become God's sons and daughters. But what Paul has in mind here is the consummation of that relationship. It's that moment in the new heavens and new earth where you run into the arms of God and you are home. Because you see, the second place of suffering we experience is the kind of relational suffering where we feel isolated and alone and disconnected. We groan because we are so alone, so separate, so other, that we often feel as though no one really knows us, no one really loves us. I'm 38 years old. I spend a lot of time with men in my age bracket, and it is incredible to me how many of us feel so alone. That is a major part of suffering of what it means to be human is that we feel as though we're, we really don't have anyone. No one really knows us. If they did, they wouldn't accept us. No one really loves us. Maybe you even came this morning completely by yourself in a room full of people feeling by yourself. The Bible acknowledges that. It groans with you. The Spirit of God groans with you. You were not meant to be alone. It should not be that way. But there's hope. Because in the new heavens and new earth, there will not be a single minute of the day that you will be alone. You will be known and loved, and accepted. We groan now, but we hope for what will be. The third place that Paul points us to for hope is purpose. That language, adoption as sons, doesn't just carry with it the idea of love. It carries with it the idea of inheritance. Pastor Joe made this point so well last week, but because we are God's children, whatever belongs to him belongs to us. We inherit his kingdom, which means we are expecting and hoping and going to receive meaning and purpose in life. Not, not now. Now it is not always that way, right? We, we wake up in the morning to go to jobs we don't like for reasons we can't remember, like we're living in some kind of Bruce Springsteen song. Early 80s, the good stuff. But there's a day coming 
where every second you will have meaning and purpose. So the Bible says that God is going to wipe the slate clean. He's going to make the earth new. And then he's going to partner with us in shaping and molding and creating. Every second of your day will be infused with meaning and purpose that you're excited about, that you want to participate in, a reason to get out of bed in the morning, metaphorically speaking, a desire to be part of something. Now we feel as though our lives are meaningless and inconsequential and we groan and we grieve and we lament but we look forward to a day where nothing is meaningless nothing is inconsequential you see I want you to see that the Bible teaches us both the spirit of God leads us to be to do both to to grieve and lament and groan our physical suffering our loneliness our purposelessness. These are not good things. These are not the way we were meant to live. We should grieve them. We have to grieve them. The Spirit of God wants to teach us to grieve them, but he also wants to lead us to hope. I've grown up in the church. I've been in the church my entire life. And my experience is that churches I've been to or Christians I've known tend to pick one of those things but not do both of them. Do you know what I mean? Like I've been to some churches where all they do is groan. Life is hard, there's no hope. If anything, they will say to you, if you don't want it to be like that, do better. Try harder. Dig your way out. Work your way out. I know life is hard now. It's your fault. Figure it out. There's a lot of groaning, not a lot of hope. I've known other churches and other Christians that are all hope and no groaning. Everything's wonderful all the time. Everyone's happy. Everyone's clappy. But when I show up and I'm struggling, I feel like I'm an alien. I feel as though I must be the only one living in reality, the only one who sees what's happening in the world, the only one who's not perfect, the only one whose marriage might not always be the best, the only one who doesn't know how to deal with my kids. I feel alone. I feel cheated. You can groan or you can hope. That seems to be the message that churches and Christians are offering themselves and us. And listen, I'm not mad at them and I don't think they're evil. I just think it's really hard to hold on to both of these things. It's really hard to groan, to be honest about our struggle, to be honest about our suffering to admit that we are hurting and lonely and purposeless and to hope. It's like the more in tune I get with my groaning, the less I believe the promises of God. So the, more, the more I groan, the harder it is to believe that God's going to actually do what he said he's going to do. And so I have to pick one because it doesn't seem like I can have both. But I want you to understand something. Biblical Christianity, the work of the Spirit in your life is to tell you you can have both. That's why the third thing he teaches us is how to believe. How to believe. In the midst of our groaning, in the midst of our suffering, how can we believe that the things we're hoping for will actually happen? This might come as a bit of a surprise to you, but I'm not really good at waiting. And I know before you come up to me after service, I know patience is a fruit of the Spirit. So pray for me. I'm not good at it. I hate going to the doctor or the dentist. 
Let me ask you a question. What's the point of making an appointment if I get there in time for my appointment and then I still have to sit for another hour? And you know they do that shell game where they move you to the inner waiting room. Do you know what I'm saying? Like how long has he been out there? 20 minutes? Time to move him to waiting room number two. So you feel like something's happening. Nothing is happening, right? I don't like to go to a restaurant and when it takes forever, like I'm the guy who's watching the tables around me. Like, wait a minute, they got here after us. They're already eating. I'm telling my wife we're in big trouble. Like it's something's gone wrong. We're not going to get our food. I'm just not really good at waiting. Do you know where the best place for me to wait is? When I'm getting my oil changed. This is why. Because when I go to get my oil changed, I sit in the lobby and the whole wall is glass. And I can see into where they are working on the cars. And I can see when my car comes in. Oh, there it is. We're making progress. Then they pop the hood and do some magical things I don't really understand. I see that happening. Open hood is good. Closed hood, that's even better. It means we're trending towards being finished. I see them drive the car out, and I go meet them at the cash register. Notice you pulled it out. Guess we're ready to go. I don't have any trouble waiting at the oil change place because I have indications that we're making progress. I have indications, reasons to believe the outcome I'm waiting for is coming. So I'm groaning. I don't really want to wait, but I'm believing in that I'm hoping that we're going to be done soon. That is what, by the way, Paul has in mind in verse 23 when he says this. Look with it. Look at it with me. And not only the creation, he says, but we ourselves, and then he says this, very powerful word, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits. It's a really important word. Here's what he's saying. If you plant a garden, you plant the the plant, you weed, you water, and then you wait, and then you wait, and then you wait. And eventually, that first tomato sprouts, or whatever tomatoes do, it shows up. And you get excited. Why? Because that's going to be the best tomato you've ever had? No, probably not. But you get excited because it means the plant is healthy. And if one tomato has come, guess what? There will be more. Where there's one there will be more. You get excited because it is the first fruit. It is an early indication that the outcome you're hoping for is actually going to come true. What Paul is saying here is the Spirit teaches us to groan. He teaches us to hope. And then he gives us first fruits that are reason to believe. Early tomatoes, a window into the oil change place. Well, what are those first fruits? Well, there's two of them. Here's the first one. The Spirit of God raises Jesus from the dead. He raises Jesus from the dead. Jesus, who lives in our place, dies in our place, is buried in a tomb, and then three days later, the Spirit of God raises Jesus from the dead. And then this is what he says to us. Which is harder? To speak into your physical suffering or to raise the dead? Which is harder? To heal your lonely, wounded heart or to raise the dead? Which is harder? To find meaning and purpose for you or to raise the dead? You see, raising the dead is one hack of a first tomato. 
It is an indication that nothing, not even death, not even biology, not even the physical universe can stop God. It is reminding us that the brokenness of this world, that we groan and rightfully so, we have met someone who is bigger than that brokenness. But here's the second first fruit. It's what he's already done in your life. Brother or sister in Christ, do you remember who you were before Jesus? Do you remember? Do you remember your anger, your pride, your anxiety? Do you remember where your marriage was? Do you remember where your family was? Do you remember your addiction? Do you remember all the things he's done in and through to bring you where you are now? Those things are indications that he makes good on his promises. I played golf with a guy this week, a new friend of mine, and he was telling me this incredible story. I love to hear your stories. It's my favorite, my favorite thing. And he was telling me this story about this, this sin difficulty he had had in his life for a long time, going back to even when he was a kid. And he was telling me how five years ago God set him free from it. And he said it changed everything. It didn't just change that thing. It, it, it changed who he was as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father. He said even things you wouldn't think were connected. It, it, it dramatically changed. I'm a totally different person. And then he said this. So now my passion in life is finding other men with that struggle and telling them God can fix it. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying to guys who are groaning, I'm just, I'm trapped, I'm a prisoner. And then they're saying, I know you told me to hope, but I'm not sure I can really believe. And he's saying to them, let me share my story with you of what God has done in my life. Let me give you a reason to believe. Let me be that first tomato. Let my life be that window into the oil-changing bay so that you can see there's progress. God is making good on his promises. God knows this life is hard. He knows his promises are big. And that's why he's given us first fruits, reasons to believe. By the way, by the way, this is why community is so important. Because as I sit in my life saying, God, I don't see how you can take me from where I am now to who you promised I would be. I look at the guy next to me and I remember that last year he was saying that. And remember what God has done in his life and all the growth I've seen and all the progress and how he's not the man that I first met. And I'm reminded if God can do that in his life, he can also do it in mine. Listen to me. Listen to me. You do not have to pretend. You do not have to be naive or be ignorant, be happy clappy, think everything is okay. It is okay to say, I'm not okay. It is okay to say, I'm hurting. It is okay to say, I'm suffering. It is okay to say, I'm broken. And if you never say that, it is because you're not listening to the Spirit of God. And I know, I know you're afraid. If you look your brokenness in the eye, it'll be too big. And the promises of God will feel too distant. But that's why the Spirit will whisper to you, I've already raised the dead. 
That's where the Spirit will point you to those in this room and say, you wouldn't believe what I've done in his life. You wouldn't believe who she's becoming. And you'll be reminded, my brokenness is big, but God is bigger. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus called him, the helper. The one who comes to us in our brokenness and empathizes with us. Who groans with us. Who acknowledges the brokenness of this world with us. The one who whispers your promises to us and then in our unbelief reminds us of all the indications around us, all the reasons to trust you. God, you are so good to us in that what you provide or what you require from us, you provide for us in your spirit. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.